You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. gather together with God's people and but I know the most beautiful part of the whole thing is your voice in his ear he just loves to hear that he loves to hear you worship him so if you're a visitor with us this morning we're glad that you're here just make yourself at home and uh, know that the Lord wants to speak to you Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you um, please take a minute after church and and introduce yourself fill out one of those little visitor cards so I can follow up just a little bit with you, and uh, especially if you have prayer requests or things like that. We just really want you to, to know that we care and, uh, and that we're glad that you're here, and we take it uh, very seriously that you've um, come to worship with God's people this morning. We want to warmly welcome you and do what we can for you. So, All right, uh, we're going to let the kids go to children's ministry after we pray for them. <laughs> You know that's the way it works. We're going to pray, and then you're going to go. Hang on. Not yet, Kate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day, and thank you, Lord, that uh, every single day uh, you have uh, purposes and intentions and plans, and uh, we know, Lord, that you're going to accomplish what you set out to do. Uh, We pray for our kids, Lord, as they go to children's ministry. This may be a routine day for us, Lord, but it's not for you. And we pray, Lord, that you would touch their hearts in a really special way today, that you would speak to them, Lord. Um, thank you for those that are working today, Lord, to uh, care for our kids in the nursery and uh, in the children's ministry. And just pray that you'd return a blessing unto them, Lord, uh, that even as they pour out, Lord, that they would themselves would be refreshed and, uh, and reminded of your goodness and your care for them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the kids can go. And if you will turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 3, uh, I'm going to preach another turning point uh, sermon that is um, uh, the result of our, um, our series on the Holy Spirit. If you haven't had a chance to listen to um, those messages, I really encourage you to because um, it's some of the most um, really pointed and detailed um, preaching that we've done uh, on the Holy Spirit and um, and the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our lives, and um, it's, it's a lot of good stuff there. So I just encourage you to, to do that. We're going to continue on uh, with this, that this morning uh, in Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read it, and uh, then we're going to come back and, uh, and talk about it in more detail. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Maybe a dead battery or something. Okay, here we go. All right. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, John wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There we go. Um, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, the, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I'm also going to read a passage from John that describes the same thing. John the Baptist appears in all four Gospels, and all four Gospels begin Jesus' ministry with John the Baptist and with Jesus being baptized. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, open our hearts today to hear your word in a fresh and new way, Lord. Lord, open our eyes that we might see, Lord Jesus, things that are unseen to the natural. Oh, God, and touch our hearts today um, with this uh, example and this story to us, Lord, which you have invited us into. Do not just be spectators, but be participants in. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So John the Baptist, uh, this um, sermon has been described as the fire sermon. There's like three or four times in there that John the Baptist refers to, to fire. And John the Baptist is a fiery, fiery guy. Um, there's several things about this that I want to point out to you. Um, John the Baptist himself, um, who was he and what did he do? Now, in this he says, you know, if you, if you read the, the Christmas story, you know that John the Baptist and Elizabeth are an integral part of the Christmas story. 
that John the Baptist, um, uh, Elizabeth became pregnant with John the Baptist six months um, before Mary became pregnant with Jesus. And that when, when Mary did become pregnant, the first place that she went, and she spent time with Elizabeth until John was born, um, was to go and stay with him. And when she walked into Elizabeth's presence, Elizabeth knew who she was and knew what she was doing and who she was carrying. And John the Baptist left in her womb. There may have been a lot of places on earth that Mary felt uncomfortable or unwelcome or out of place. But man, in Elizabeth's house and in the presence of John the Baptist, she felt like she was at home. It's an amazing, amazing story. John the Baptist, when he's describing Jesus, he says, he, uh, he ranks me or he outranks me because he existed before me. So he's obviously talking about pre-existent Jesus Christ as, as the Lord uh, of all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Um, John the Baptist was all about um, Jesus. Here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, and this is after John has been arrested um, and uh, will shortly be uh, put to death. And while he's in prison, um, he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and says to him, are you the Christ or the one that we're looking for, or should we expect somebody else? Now, if that doesn't speak to you about the fact that anybody can get discouraged, that's what it should. That's the point of the whole thing. Even John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit, knew who Jesus was, said, I must decrease and he must increase, had certain expectations that Jesus was not fulfilling. Jesus was doing some things that John the Baptist looked at and said, is this really it? Is this really the Messiah and what we're expecting uh, to come? And Jesus said, you go back and tell him that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And he's like, that will, that's all John the Baptist needs to hear. When he hears that that's what's happening, that's the fulfillment of those messianic scriptures, miraculous fulfillment of messianic scriptures, and the fact that Jesus is not catering to the rich and the powerful and the influential, but he's preaching the gospel to everybody, top to bottom. And when he sends them away, then he says this. He says, as they went away, Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 through 15, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd saying, concerning John, he said, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face and who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And then Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what Jesus is saying here is the Messianic scriptures that they, are, they have heard about since they were uh, infants um, all prophesied that there would be a, a voice, um, a prophet, who would precede the Messiah, who would be directly before the Messiah and that would usher in the Messiah and introduce the Messiah. And Jesus is saying to them, this is who, is John, is who John the Baptist is. He is that voice. 
The way that Jesus is describing John the Baptist, and this is, this is something that you, can't, um, you can't miss, is that John the Baptist is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And that includes Ezekiel, as we heard from before, and, and also includes Isaiah and, and Elijah and Elisha, all of the great Old Testament prophets who prophesied, Jeremiah, who came, from God, from, from, uh, came in, in the name of the Lord, speaking to, to uh, Israel about repenting. Speaking to Israel, not just words of conviction, um, but also words of comfort to them, that God had not forgotten them, and that God would fulfill what he was going to say. But those guys, man, those guys were tough. Those, those guys put it on the line, and many of them died for what they were prophesying and what they were preaching. Listen, they were far more interested in what God said than what people said. And we need people like that. We need people who hear from God and are not ashamed and not afraid to speak it out. And John the Baptist was was the best example of that. He was the end of the Old Testament. And as the end of the Old Testament, as the last Old Testament prophet, he had the privilege that all of them wished they could have had of being able to say, Behold the Lamb of God. That's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, there is never, there's not a one in the, in the Old Testament that's greater than John the Baptist, and there's not a one in the New Testament that's greater than John the Baptist. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than the greatest in the Old Testament. You see what he's saying there? Because he's saying the, the kingdom of God and what he's ushering in and what he's making possible, what we walk in, is so far superior it can't even be compared to what they had walked in. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so John the Baptist, Jesus said, for, all, for the prophets, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And after John, we have the fulfillment of those prophecies. We're not spending our whole time looking forward to the Messiah appearing, but now we're looking forward to the kingdom of God being established. Give me the next slide, please. Here's John the Baptist's message. This is what John says of himself. Like when John talks about himself, he says from the very beginning, his whole ministry is predicated on the fact that there is one who is coming. And so he says this. He says, repent, and he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that's pretty simple. That's pretty simple. And it, the, uh, Matthew describes um, John the Baptist, says he lives in the wilderness. He's got a, he, he wears a camel hair um, clothing, which I can't imagine could be very comfortable or very attractive, but it's serviceable, and it works for him. And he has a leather belt. He's a rough old guy, and he lives in a rough world, and he, and he, uh, and he, he comes from, you know, not a cultured uh, background and not a, um, a, a, a highly um, uh, influential background. He comes with nothing but the word of the Lord. And what is the word? The word is repent and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says he was preaching in the wilderness and all Jerusalem and Judea were going out to him. Now, I think that's kind of remarkable. Because if there is somebody preaching out in the wilderness... And saying stuff like repent, what's drawing people 
What, what makes people want to go out there to hear, them, hear that and subject themselves to that? Because they had been living under oppression for so long, and they so desired for the appearing of the Messiah. They were primed. They were hurt. They were broken. They were, they were uh, uh, humbled. Israel was like a, a woman who had cheated on her husband, years ago and lived under the cloud of that and she knew that she had and she knew that she wasn't hadn't lived up to the promises and yet God kept saying I'm still going to deliver you she's like somebody who is looking for redemption looking for purpose looking for hope and this message that John is preaching is not going to the religious people it's going to everybody and word has gotten out. Word of mouth is, has gotten out. And people are coming out to him to hear what he's saying. Because what he's saying is the kingdom of God is coming. This Messiah that I have talked about is coming. And the way that he described him with his winnowing fork in his hand, that is judgment. And Israel knew that she needed judgment. She needed to be set right with God. She needed, she needed that release of confession of sins. Have you ever lived under the burden of a sin? And you can, ju- you can justify it to everybody else. And you can walk around like you feel okay, but your heart is rotten because you know you are wrong and you know that you have done something terrible. And what you need is the worst thing that you can possibly do, and that's to stand up and say, I am guilty. Bring it. Whatever happens as a result of that, I don't want to live with this guilt anymore. That's how Israel was. That's the condition that Israel was in. They're going out to him, and what is he doing? He's baptizing them. So what he's doing is he's doing this ritual, this, um, um, this weird practice that wasn't really part. I mean, washings were part of the Old Testament, but this whole you know, baptism thing was not mentioned in the Old Testament. It was something kind of new and unique that John was doing. And what he was doing was taking them into the Jordan River, which is not necessarily a really clean or, hap- or pretty river, and he was dunking them, and, and they were coming back up. And what was it for? It was to say, I want to prepare my heart for the kingdom of God. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Saying that the Messiah is on the way, and he will be here shortly. When he's talking about that winnowing fork, that's the way that they used to separate the wheat from the chaff. So when you go out and harvest um, the, uh, the wheat, you end up with a whole, some wheat, some kernels that are useful, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And what they would do is they would go somewhere where there's a pretty good, strong, prevailing wind. They would have a place cleared out that was just pristine, just clean and, and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and, and ready for it. And, and, and they would take that wheat and they would throw it up in the air and the chaff would be blown away and the wheat grains would fall and fall and fall until what you were left with was the pure wheat. Now listen, that threshing floor was Israel. 
That was supposed to be the clean spot. That was supposed to be the place where something that was good would be able to be presented in a way. It's not normal. It's not on the, uh, you know, like, like something that you see every day. It's something that is consecrated and set aside for that. And he's going to clean his threshing floor, which means he's going to start with a message of repentance. He's going to sift through our hearts. He's going to sift through the hearts of Israel. And he's going to bring them to a place of admitting, repenting, confessing their sins before him. That's all he's, that's what he was, he was after. First Peter chapter 4.17 says, for us, for it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the message of the gospel? It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. God starts with his own first. You see, Israel, uh, John the Baptist was saying, this Messiah that's coming, he will deliver you from your sins. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they did not want to hear that. When, When John the Baptist was talking to them about repentance... They, they said, we have Abraham as our father. And he said, uh-uh, don't you even say that. He's like, do you know the genealogy? We talked about that last week. Do you know about Rahab and Tamar and uh, Ruth um, and um, what was Solomon's mom, mom's name? Bathsheba. So you want to stand on that? You want to stand on on your unfaithfulness, on your brokenness. The whole list of the genealogy was all a, a, a litany of kings who were horrible people and did terrible things. You want to stand on that? No, here's what they're thinking. They're thinking like when, when Moses was in the mountain and, uh, and, and he had received the Ten Commandments from God, the first thing that God said after he got those Ten Commandments, he says, go down, Moses, because this people has already turned away from me. And he said, I'm going to smite them and I'm going to destroy them. And Moses said to him, far be it from you, God, to do that, because you have made a covenant with Abraham. You have made a covenant and a promise with Abraham. Far be it from you to do this. And it worked, and God relented, and he did not destroy them. And these Pharisees and scribes are like, well, God can't touch us. We're covenant people. Got it in with God. Got him kind of over a barrel. And John the Baptist says, God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones, just like he did with the four women that I just mentioned. None of them should have been in, but God sovereignly chose to put them in in Jesus' own genealogy. Don't you stand there and tell me that God's over a barrel, that God is in this covenant relationship and he has to bless you and he has to pour out his grace on you? No way. No way. What kind of marriage would that be if one member of, it, of, the, of the marriage just said, you know, well, we're married, so you're, you know, you're in covenant with me. You can't walk away from it. You can't do anything about it. I can live any way I want to. I can do anything I want to. And you, don't have, you can't say anything about it. We're married and that's the end of it. You're a covenant-keeping God. You have to keep the covenant. John the Baptist is like, this kingdom that's coming, you better get ready for it. You better get ready for it because it's going to burn. It's going to burn brightly. It's going to take sin seriously. 
You see, he, they thought, when they, hear, when they hear the Messiah's coming, they didn't think that that, that Messiah was coming. They're, the reason why they're going out into the wilderness and they're doing what they're told to do, they didn't think that they were going to be delivered from their sin as much as they thought they were going to be delivered from sinners. The Romans, the Babylonians. That's what they want to be delivered from. That's our problem, is these sinners, these sinful nations, these idolaters, and and. And, and God is like, do you not get it? Do you not get it? The Romans are not the problem. The Babylonians are not the problem. The Canaanites are not the problem. The problem is sin. And he will deliver his people from their sin. Not from sinful people. Not from political oppression. But from that part of their heart that kept them from fully walking in the promises of God, that part of their heart that kept them continually winding up in the ditch, no matter what he did for them, and no matter who he sent to tell them and caution them and call them back, no matter how many times he forgave and restored over and over and over and over again, the problem was not the Babylonians, that the Babylonians kept taking over. The problem was that Israel was not Delivered from their own sins, their own sinful nature. That's not the Messiah that they were looking for. But that is the Messiah that they needed. And that's the Messiah that we need. John's message was that it was time to take responsibility for their actions. Make straight. He says, straighten up. It's time to straighten up. It's time to start walking like covenant people. It's time to start walking. You say that, that you are God's chosen people. It's time to start showing that in your life and in your lifestyle. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, all of them were not listening to it. They were coming out because they were following what everybody else was doing. Later on, Jesus asked them straight up, and he did this to embarrass them. He did this to call him out. He said, you want to ask me a, a, a question? I think the question was, are you the Messiah? Are you Lord? Are, are you equal with God? And he said, I'll answer that question if you'll answer a question that I ask you. John's baptism, and this was after John was already dead. John's baptism, was it from God or was it from man? And you know what the Pharisees said? What did they say? They said, we can't answer that. We can't answer that. And Jesus said, I'm not going to play games with you. If you can't answer a simple question like that, I'm not going to answer a question either. You know why? Because if they had said it was not from God, they would be unpopular with people, but it's really what they thought. It's really the way that they conducted themselves, and it's the way that they treated him, and it's the way that they acted. They acted like he was not from God. But they were afraid of the people. That's the only reason why these snakes went out to hear what John the Baptist was saying is some kind of peer pressure. It was no heart to be repentant. It was no heart to be, de, de, to, to be prepared for the kingdom of God. There was no rejoicing in that. There was just like, well, we can't, you know, we got to do something. So we'll go out there with them in our, you know, in our robes and our, you know, phylacteries. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to go out there and we're going to be a part of what's, what's going on. And John the Baptist said, you guys are a bunch of snakes. You're not coming out here because you're repenting. 
You already think you're justified. You're just playing games. But you know what? If they had said John the Baptist's baptism was of God, then they would have had to acknowledge the Savior that John the Baptist said was coming. The one that he said, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. If they had said it was of God, they would have to say that Jesus was Lord. And they were not willing to say that. They would die before they would give up their position. They would die before they would give up their own self-determination. They would die before they would give up the kingdom that they had established on earth. And listen, if you think I'm talking bad about them, I'm not talking bad about them any worse than I'm talking bad about every single human being on the face of the earth. That's the way we all are. We want it our way. We do what everything that we do is right in our own eyes. We want, we want to be left alone is what we want. We want to rule and reign our own kingdom. Behold, the kingdom of God has come. And you don't run that thing. You should run to it. Because the little kingdom that you're setting up, scribes and Pharisees, is a little hellhole. And it's not worth living in that bondage. It's not worth living under those heavy burdens that never get relieved. It's not worth living in something that you have to fight and kill in order to preserve. It's not worth living that way. He will save his people from their sins. It's not the message that they were expecting, but it's the one that they desperately needed to hear. They were waiting for a Messiah to restore Israel to greatness, to throw off the Roman rule. They were expecting a Messiah to save them from sinners. But it wasn't sinners that had destroyed their dreams every single time. Every single time that they had set their heart to follow the Lord. And they had missed the boat. They had missed the opportunity. They'd missed, and now they're living in their own country, and they have no self-determination. They are really oppressed slaves of the Roman Empire. And why is that? Because of sin. Because of sin. What did, what did John's, that's what John's baptism meant. Simple message. Repent, kingdom of heaven is coming. It's here now. It's not at some distant future. Jesus said things like this, too. He said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's how he started his whole, whole ministry. And when he said at hand, he meant it's right here. It's right here. You can touch it. And he was talking, of course, about himself. It's one thing to say that something is coming. It's another thing to say it's here. And Jesus was saying the same thing. Give me the next slide. Baptism, baptism is an act of obedience. Get, go back to the, to the one before that. It's a sign of repentance. Let me just give you a, a kind of a, I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 3 through 14. And, well, hang on a second. So what did it mean when Jesus got baptized? When Jesus got baptized... What he was doing was completely identifying with us. He was beginning his ministry. John the Baptist had said, the kingdom of God is coming. And then this is like day one, zero hour, you know, X marks the spot. This is where 
the kingdom of God is no longer something that's being talked about or looked forward to, but it's here now and it's time to experience it. That's when Jesus came to John and he said, I want to be baptized by you. And John, and he's not, he's not being falsely humble, he says, it's you that ought to baptize me because the greater should baptize you know, the lesser. And Jesus did this for several different reasons. Number one, he did it because he wanted to honor the Old Testament. He wanted to honor that Old Testament prophet. He wanted to honor the law. He wanted to honor the message that John the Baptist uh, was preaching. He wanted to say, this is how you enter into the kingdom of God, but it's not the whole story. And that's one reason why Jesus wanted to be baptized. Let me just ask you this theoretical question. If there was a God of the universe that created everything and created these human beings that are just fascinating, like the epitome of creation, how, can the, how could you come up with this? How could you come up with a being that is a human being? Even animals. I mean, I, we don't know how to create anything compared to what God creates. But the epitome of his creation in human beings. And then this God, this theoretical God, just got a wild idea in his head that he wanted to go down and just kind of experience what it's like to be one of them. Wouldn't that be something? Let me ask you a question. Where would that God draw the line? I want to be like you. I want to be like human beings. And, I, you know, I want to come down and, you know, and experience everything that you're experiencing, you know. Where would he draw the line? Where would he say, but I need like a soft bed, Right? If I'm going to be a human, I would like to be a comfortable human, right? Where would he draw the line? Where would he say, I, you know, I've had enough, and that's enough, and I'm out? And so isn't that amazing? There is a God, and he did come down, not just to see what it's like, but to help, to fix something. And he did not draw the line anywhere. Started in a feed trough. Ended in the worst form of humiliating capital punishment that human beings ever came up with. And nowhere along that line did he say, I've had enough. this This is not enough for me. And it all started this day. When this call to repentance went out and people were coming and they were bringing their sins before God and they were, they were going down into the water and they were being baptized and they were saying, I, I want to prepare myself for the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, I am not above any of that. In fact, I came to bear those sins. And so he deeply identified with us in doing that. This is a humiliation the very first part of a humiliation that he is going to endure for his whole ministry, and he's setting the tone for his whole ministry as one of identification instead of one of judgment, of one of salvation instead of one of condemnation. That's what he's doing. He's coming right along with us, and we're going down in that filthy water with sins that we're guilty of, and he's going straight down in that filthy water with us, and he is being baptized right along with us. Same baptism. There is no... There is no description of how humiliating and how humbling that is and what a God we serve. That that's the goal. That's that's the way that he starts his ministry. Not with a big ad campaign and not with like, you know, trying to gather a bunch of, saying a bunch of nice words and, and stuff like that, but he's saying, I'm one of you. And it's not a superficial thing. It is a very intimate and personal thing. And that's how he does it, you guys. That's how he... 
That's how he does it. He didn't come just to experience it. He came to change it. Because John the Baptist said, he is going to baptize with what? Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I know we've talked about this before, and I hope that you understand this, that Christianity and walking with the Lord is not like a rule book that you have to abide by, stuff that you can't do, that you wish you could do, and stuff that you have to do that you really wish that you didn't have to do. You know, that's what I thought it was like before I actually met Jesus Christ and he became the Lord of my life. When I stopped just being a fan and started being a fanatic, okay, when I started, when he became my world, my all in all, is that I realized that the stuff that he is telling me to do is the best stuff on earth. And the stuff that he's telling me not to do, even though on some level it may have some appeal, it's what killed me. It's what was killing me. And not only that, he didn't just say, you have to do this and you can't do that, but he put the Holy Spirit within me that enables me to do it. The law can tell you, I mean, can pick you apart, but it can never help. But Jesus Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit, and that's your help. That's your helper. And he says, this is what I'm asking you to do, and this is what I'm commanding you to do. And if you'll do these things, you will be happy. You will have peace. You will have life abundantly. You will have eternal life, and it will never come to an end if you will walk in this. And you're like, I can't. I've tried. And he's like, I've got a solution for you. And that is the Holy Spirit, the enablement. He doesn't just give a command, but he also gives the ability. When Jesus was baptized, he immediately went down into the water, and behold, look what happened. Heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, there's a lot of people that think, if I could see God, I would believe. They also think, if God would audibly talk to me, then I would, I would know that it's God, and I would know what he's doing to me. It happened over and over and over again, and it has happened over and over and over again throughout history, and it's a really weak way to convince people that there's a God and what he wants you to do. It's a really weak way. If your heart is not inclined, and if you don't have ears to hear, God can speak audibly, and you will say it thundered. Even though in your heart you know that God's speaking to you, you'll deny that. Why? Because you don't want to die. You don't want to surrender. You don't want to give up. You want to live your life the way you want to live your life. And even if he spoke audibly, even if he appears to you uh, physically, that is not the way that God changes people's lives. He changes people's lives because they come to him and they say, I want you. I don't know you. I don't even know what this means, but I'm broken and I'm dying and I need life and I need purpose and I need healing. And I need forgiveness. And he says, I can work with that. And that's the only kind that he'll work with. The proud, they'll live on in their pride. And they'll get the reward of that pride. What does baptism mean to us, finally? Romans chapter 6, verses uh, 3 through 14 says this. And I think I may have these um, scriptures well, actually, I've got parts of these scriptures up, so this is, this is a, a part of it. It means, first of all, it means, uh, well, I'll read the scripture, and then we'll come back and talk about it. 
Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 14. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So what does baptism mean? It means death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him or us because we're identified with him. Because we're experiencing this right along with him. Because he got baptized to identify with us and we get baptized to identify with him. That's That's what he did and that's what we do. That's what baptism is. Being raised from the dead, Christ will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as sin uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have uh, been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. That is the opposite of cheap grace. That is the opposite of, oh, I'm just going to overlook this and don't worry about it. We won't talk about it anymore. That is coming face to face with what sin is and what separation from God is and saying, I've got a remedy for that. That's Romans chapter 6. And he's talking about baptism here. So when I talk to people about baptism, and I've baptized, you know, I know that there are some traditions that baptize infants, and I understand where they're coming from with that. What they're saying is that this child is entering into an environment of faith, and they are entering into life, and that they are, we're going to regard them from the day um, that they're able to, to do this um, as being in. They are part of the kingdom of God. They're in the kingdom of God. And that we're making this decision for them. The problem is, is that a child, an infant, can't repent. And probably doesn't have a lot to repent for. Okay? I'm not going to get into original sin with you here. But they probably don't have a lot to repent for. But when we get baptized, it's dependent upon coming to a place of realizing that we are lost without him and that we need him. And however old you are when you're able to say that, Jesus, come into my heart. I need you. I repent of my sins. So when I baptize anybody, I don't care if you're 5 or if you're 50 or if you're 500, if you can possibly be that old, I don't care how young you are or how old you are, how rich you are, how you know, dependent you are, how anything you are, I'm going to ask you the same question. Why do you want to be baptized? And you have to be able to answer that question. I mean, not just say words, but you have to be able to say. And you know what most people say, and especially um, the younger ones, what they say is because I want everybody to know that Jesus lives in my heart. And that is one of the most basic and profound reasons to get baptized is they're saying, I am identifying with him. They can't know what the old self is very much. 
They can know how they struggle to tell the truth, because kids do. They can know that how they struggle to get along with their, you know, brothers and sisters, how they don't want to steal and they don't want to, you know, do bad stuff. They can, they can understand that, and we minimize that, but that's the, that's the sin nature that we all have, and that's what they're dealing with. But their answer is, I want everybody to know. It's a public thing that I do that everybody knows. But listen to me. There is that. And there are two more things that are really profound about baptism, and, and it's why, why we get baptized. Jesus got baptized, and he ascended. He said, you go and you start baptizing people, and one of them is because we need to die. Baptism is a drowning. Baptism is a public ritual, but it's a spiritual truth when you're saying that old man is drowned, is dead has been brought to death. He no longer has a a right to say anything to me. And the new person that comes up is a new creation. I am a new creation in Christ. It it, it was so liberating for me to be able to say the old Joe did so and so. And listen to me. He still smells up the place sometimes. But I reckon him dead. I'm telling you, the reason why it smells so bad is because you're dead. You have no rule over me. You have no control over me. You have no authority over me. So that's the first one. And the second one is baptism is a washing. It is a washing away of our sins. It's a washing once and for all, saying that my sins, though they were scarlet, he has made them as white as snow. And I am no longer under the cloud of my sin anymore. The power of sin has been broken. It doesn't mean that I won't fail. It just means that that's not my life anymore. That's not my lifestyle anymore. And I'm not just talking about sins. I'm talking about that selfish, self-centered, selfish drive to have things my way. That now I have come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and his ways are so much better than my ways. There's another aspect of this that's really important as well. And that's to do this ritual act. I keep pointing to the baptistry because that's where our baptistry is, if you guys don't know. Um, and we got baptisms coming up in the next uh, few weeks, too. So if you're interested in getting baptized, please um, talk to me ahead of time because we need to have a conversation about it. But the other thing about baptism is, is that it is a public ritual that you can always point to and say, this day at this time, I basically kind of like got married, you know what I mean by that? That's what, like two people, like baptism doesn't save you, right? You're saved when you give your heart to the Lord. The thief on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He got in that day, he didn't get baptized, okay? So baptism, and I'm not saying, I'm not minimizing it, but I'm saying it's extremely important, but it's an act of obedience. It's when I say You told me to do this, and I'm going to do this in in obedience. It's an act of identification. It says, you did this identifying with me. I'm doing this identifying uh, with you. But it's also just like that memorial stone, that when they came into the promised land, and they crossed the River Jordan, and the the waters uh, split, they took rocks from the bank, and they put it in the middle of the Jordan River, dry riverbed at that point, and took rocks from the riverbed and put them on on the bank 
And they said, you always know that God parted these waters and you may be able to see this memorial, but there's a deeper memorial that you can't even see that is just as significant that God brought me to this place. God brought me into this place. There's a story of an old guy that uh, I heard when I first got saved and I wasn't this old when I, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, 18th century when I got saved, but it's, a, it's an old story of a farmer that's out plowing in his field. And, um, and every time he goes by this, there's a post in the middle of his field. Every time he goes by the post, he touches that post. And his grandson is watching him, and he says, he says Grandpa, um, what is that post for? Like, you're, you're plowing, and every time you go by that post, you touch that post. And he said, he says, uh, son, when I was uh, much younger, he said, I did a bunch of stuff that I was really, really ashamed of, and I almost died. And, and I came to the Lord, and I repented. And God gave me, you know, he forgave me, and he, and he, and he put my feet on paths of righteousness, and he, he delivered me from that. But he said, the devil kept coming to me and saying, you're no different. You're that same person. You say all of this stuff, but it doesn't mean anything. And he said, when that, I, I got enough of that. And he said, what I did was I went to the middle of my field, and I took a stake, and I drove that stake down as deep as I could, and I said, at that stake, I said, this day I give my life to Jesus. That was a physical representation of something that was going on in his heart. And every time he plowed by that, he touched that. That's what baptism is. It's a touchstone. It's a memorial. It's something visible that you can do, that you can look back on, and you can say, this day. It's a fact. And listen to me. It's not dependent upon your faithfulness. It's dependent on his faithfulness. So this day, I gave my life to the Lord. But listen to me. This day, he gave his life to me. This day, he filled me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one of the images that I used, my PowerPoint, I'm sorry for it today, uh, was from, um, oh, brother, where art thou? Did y'all see that one? That, and, uh, and the guy that gets, is it Delbert? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Is it Delbert or Del, Delmer? Delmer. Delmer, yeah, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of baptism. And I know it's a comedy and they make fun of him throughout the thing. But I like to think that that guy, something amazing happened because he in the story, it's fiction, I understand. But this character really did give his life to the Lord. And you can look at it from the outside and say, you know, that's a big joke and that's funny. But God doesn't take it funny. Doesn't ta he takes it seriously. And you say, well, he didn't really know what he was doing. None of us do. But God does. And that's all he's looking for is our willingness in an honest and broken way to bring our lives to him and, and repent. And give our hearts to him and say once and for all. And listen to me, he will never give you up. He'll never let go. He will continue to pursue you. Can you walk away from him? Maybe. I don't know. Why would you want to? But it'd be hard. It's not like you didn't wake up and pray this morning and you follow it. That's not the way that it works, man. It's not like you forget about him or, or something like that. It's hard to walk away from him because he makes a commitment to you that is so deep and so profound so strong that he'll never give you up. Listen to me. Baptism means that old me is dead. 
once and for all. Let's just pause for a minute. I just want to let the Holy Spirit do what He can do, what only He can do in your heart this morning. Thank you, Lord. Is there any vestige of that old life that still hangs on, still has its hooks in you? Paul says that we're buried in his image and raised to new life. Buried in his image. That old me is dead. New things have come. Don't let the accuser hold anything against you. Don't let him get his hooks into you and try to make you look backwards. If you have fallen, you have failed, you repent, and he will forgive you and he will cleanse you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me tell you one more story, and then we're going to worship for a few minutes, and if you want prayer, you can come. Um, in the late 70s, early 80s, it was a... A uh, pop singer named uh, Teddy Prendergrass. I don't know if some of y'all are familiar with him. Uh, rhythm and blues, uh, jazz uh, music. Just an awesome, wonderful musician and a truly, really kind of nice guy. Um, and he suffered a really bad car accident in 1982, and he was paralyzed from the chest down. And um, I heard an interview with him years later, and um, he lived like 28 years like that before he finally passed away, paralyzed. And he said, uh, somebody was asking him, you know, how he, he lived with it. And he said, well, the first few years were really hard, you know, because he said, I spent my whole life looking back on what I had and what I did and what I was, you know, what I used to be able to do and what I couldn't do now and, and, and all of that. And he said, he finally just came to the place where he said, okay, that's enough. And, and it was just not just him, but it was his family and, you know, and his friends and everybody else under this kind of cloud and he, he said, I, I, I invited everybody to come together. And he said, we had a white funeral. And we laid me to rest. And we just said, that Teddy is dead. And now this Teddy is the Teddy. This is Teddy. That's not who I am anymore. It's who I might have been and who I was. But I'm going to be who I am today, not living under the cloud of who I was. That's what Jesus gives us the ability Be set free. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to worship. If you want prayer, you, you come and, uh, and we'll pray for you, pray with you.